This episode of the DGMG podcast, that's my podcast, is brought to you by Oribi, O-R-I-B-I, O-R-I-B-I, Oribi. Here's the cool thing about them advertising on this podcast, by the way, just a quick note, it's working. So a bunch of people actually went and used Oribi and signed up and started having success with the product. So they came back and they were like, Dave, can we keep sponsoring your podcast? And I said, yes, it's always great when it works out that way. And Oribi is awesome because they are providing an alternative, finally, an alternative to Google Analytics. And it's the alternative that a lot of people have been waiting for. I talked to a lot of marketers and Google Analytics is one of those things that you love it or hate it. And so if you're in that other camp or just looking for something new, you should go and check out Aribi. They have customers like Sony, Audi, Panasonic, and Pizza Hut. And it's great because once you connect Aribi to your website, you can really quickly analyze what's going on and see how people engage, not just with a form on your website, but with everything, CTAs, forms, pop-ups, images, videos, landing pages, and it works across all the domains that you have. And you can even see specifically what is leading to conversions. And marketing is ultimately just a game of let's go do more of what's working. So Aribi can help show you that. And the best part is it happens all automatically, right? You're busy, I'm busy. Using Aribi is like having a marketing analyst on your team working 24 hours a day that can give you what you need on demand. And whether you have a new campaign running, new ad creative, new landing page, there's so many things that we are testing and want to be measuring daily. And it's really easy to do that with Aribi, even if it's something like you just shipped a new pillar piece of content that the team has been working on for months and you want to know how that content is impacting conversion, you can do that. Just log into Aribi. You'll learn how people are interacting with all of your marketing. And in no time, you'll get better at prioritizing what's working. And so you can throw out what's not and double down on the stuff that actually is having an impact. Plus, it's super simple to set up. They've got great customer service and tech support in case you need any help. And if you're like me, I'm sending a million questions in to customer support, but maybe that's just me. You can check them out at aribi.io. That's O-R-I-B-I dot I-O. And if you do aribi.io slash DGMG, and you sign up through that link, you'll get 20% off any plan or punch in the promo code DGMG. You'll get 20% off any plan Oribi.io, O-R-I-B-I dot I-O. Check them out and say bye-bye to Google Analytics. All right, let's get into this episode. This episode is also brought to you by my friends at Lemon Pie. They're the ones who produce this show for me. They're awesome at what they do, and I can't recommend their work enough. They make it super easy for me, and I know that they can help you too if you want to launch a podcast strategy for your brand. Check them out at www.lemonpie.fm and tell them I sent you. That's www.lemonpie.fm. Tell them that I sent you. All right, let's get into this episode. Hey, I'm Dave Gerhardt, and you're listening to the DGMG Podcast. This is the place where I share marketing lessons and learnings every week. My guest on this episode is Sarah Beth Anders. She's VP of B2B Marketing at Guild Education. Sarah Beth. Thanks for doing this. Background for people that might not know you, can you, you don't have to do your whole full background, but like background on your story. I, I mostly want to focus on your job now, but quick background on yourself and then talk about your, your role today in the company. Yeah, for sure. So as you said, my name is Sarah Beth. Everyone calls me SB, so feel free. You're now in that club. Oh, SB? That's way better. Yeah, SB. it's so much not, easier. Not that there's anything wrong with your name, but <laughs> SB just sounds like you have some swag when you say that. So that's well, nice. Well, perfect. So I have been in marketing now for quite some time, but what's interesting is that I've been in HR tech for 12 years. And so I really just doubled down on this specific category and I've done different 
categories within HR tech, of course, but I've spent my time in product marketing, communications and PR, content marketing, demand gen, and most recently, uh, product marketing at LinkedIn. Um, and so now I am the VP of marketing on the B2B side at Guild. We're a three-sided marketplace. So there's different leaders in the B2C side, et cetera. But I'm responsible for B2B and customer acquisition. Got it. Okay. And before that, you were at Greenhouse. Yep. I want to go into Guild, but just because it's here, can we talk about LinkedIn for a little bit? Just... um. I'm always fascinated. Like, what is the role of product marketing at a company like LinkedIn, at a massive company? I'd love to hear your perspective on it, like what you did and just overall your thoughts on it. Yeah. So LinkedIn was, you know, one of the most transformative roles that I had. And I mean that in a very, like a, not a hyperbolic way at all. But the reason was because product marketing is so different than any organization I've ever been a part of. It's really the product and marketing or the product and product marketing team working together to build products. And so as you know, LinkedIn is known for LinkedIn recruiter. If you're in marketing, you've definitely used their marketing solution products before. But on the talent side, which is the side of the business, I was on, we really uh, parallel pathed with our product manager. And so I was responsible for a product there. When I got there, we had built nothing. Like we started with a concept on a whiteboard and the product manager and I really built it together. And that's when I think marketing is really magical is when you do work with product because you have the market insight and you're able to really deliver what the customer is looking for. And I think product marketing at LinkedIn does that particularly well on both the go-to-market side, but on the inbound side as well. And so when I'm looking for product marketers now after have you know doing my stint at LinkedIn, I'm really looking for those athletes that can do the inbound and outbound piece of it. Because as we know, product marketing isn't just sales enablement. And I think that that is the trap that a lot of us fall into. (laughs) Yeah. Why do you think that happens? I think that, well, let's say like product marketing is probably 10 years old now at this point. And prior to that, I mean, it's not really like if you worked in CPG, you were doing product marketing, whether it was for Clorox or whatever, but B2B product marketing is relatively young. And I think that in some cases, there's friction between product and product marketing on who owns the customer voice. And so I think that it's easy to fall into the sales enablement trap. I think other times you have marketers who are traditional marketers and uh, maybe content marketing. And so then it is also easy to fall into the content marketing or sorry, the sales enablement track, but you're not best utilizing product marketing if you're just making it a sales enablement function. Okay. That, this is good. This is a good topic. So within that, like, what do you want to see? What is a good product marketing leader or, or like, what are the, what are the functions? Cause like sales enablement is definitely a piece of it. You're not, you're saying it's not the whole thing, but like, what's a strong, badass like this is what product marketing does at a high growth SaaS company. Yeah. So, you know, I always call them purple squirrels because I think Unicorn and Silicon Valley is just like way too overused at this point. And so I do think that great product marketing leaders are purple squirrels because again, I talk about that athlete. It's really hard to find people that have done the whole spectrum of product marketing, whether it's the inbound piece and really feeling comfortable talking to customers and understanding what the customer pain point is and being able to translate those insights into a compelling roadmap and knowing how to work with product, frankly, and how to deliver that. And then the ball doesn't stop there, right? Then you have how you're going to influence the marketing strategy in a compelling way. And so your product marketer has to, or leader, I mean, obviously we run our plays 
in product marketing, every quarter we look at how we're running the different plays. And so things shift. But as the leader, then you have to be able to take your marketing strategy and figure out how product marketing plays a role in top of funnel, but mostly in bottom of funnel. And then of course, you have your sales enablement piece, which like you said, is a really important part. I Right before this call, just got off of a sales enablement call. And it's critical in our motion at Guild, but critical everywhere. And so finding someone that has expertise in all three areas and knows how to tie all those three areas together to deliver the best experience to the customer. Yeah. And also, don't you feel like for sales enablement specifically, at least this is my opinion on it, I think the best sales enablement device you could have is a killer website. Yeah. <laughs> like if, if your website has everything a potential customer needs to know, then there's less of a need for sales enablement. Now I know people might be saying, but there's decks. Well, I hear you, but also like the mo- a modern buyer, like if I'm going to go buy Guild or buy LinkedIn Recruiter or whatever, I'm going to go to your website first. I don't know many people that are making a considered purchase like B2B SaaS, like we're talking about, who are just going to straight up, you know, cold take a demo there's usually some form of research in there and so i think like product marketing and has to own the website and i think that if you're a modern business today even if you sell to the enterprise your website is your best piece of product marketing like if product marketing only does an amazing job on the website like i think that's going to be better than most companies yeah so you've said a couple of things that i really love the first thing is like i'd love for us to get out of the prospect downloaded a piece of content, have the SDR call and be like, Hey, I saw you downloaded this ebook. Do you want a demo? Like, tell me when that's ever worked, Dave. Works. You'll you'll get, you'll get downloads from it, but like, those are not, that's not where customers are going to come from. And so like, (laughs) I think it's okay to have the download, but like, I wouldn't drive the download to a sales call. I would drive the download to be like, cool. Do you want to get on our, uh, Hey, we're hosting a live uh, training tomorrow that you could go to. Like, I think there's more steps in the funnel to put content for I think the intent is not like I got an ebook and I should be, I'm going to get a demo now. I know. I told, I mean, I completely agree. And that's similar to my marketing philosophy. We should, a similar sentiment there, but agreed. The website is the most important product marketing tool. And so I've been at Guild now for three months. And this is the one thing that we're really doubling down on is the website because I agree there's nothing more important than than that. That is the first place typically that your buyers are looking. And if it's not the first place, it's the second place. So, okay. So what, what are the channels? You mentioned the website. What are the channels? I know the team is kind of split up. What are the channels you own at Guild from a marketing perspective? Yeah. So at Guild, I mean, like I said, it's a little bit of a complex business. I'm happy to go into that as well. But the channels that we own, so LinkedIn is our best performing channel. Um, I'm not just saying that because I used to work at LinkedIn. Our business is interesting because we, I know that every company says they're a special snowflake, but I promise you Guild is a little bit of a special snowflake because we sell to such large enterprise customers. And so our TAM is a lot smaller than a typical B2B SaaS company in that we do have a smaller size of the pie that we're working with. And so LinkedIn is particularly fruitful for us in that. We also do uh, regular channels, but... From an advertising perspective, or are, are you talking about organic content or like advertising? Both, actually. So we've just piloted this new thing with LinkedIn. Where we call it our ambassador program. Someone on my team runs it. And basically what we're doing is turning employees into creators. And so we've identified subject matter experts across our company. And we're helping to create those subject matter experts into thought leaders via LinkedIn organically and trying to hit our TAM in an organic way. 
but we also do do LinkedIn ads as well. So we have, we kind of hit it on both sides there. (laughs) Okay. This is sweet. This is cool. Okay. So you're doing something new. So you're doing something new with LinkedIn, which is cool because I I haven't heard of anybody doing that. Obviously you got the hookup because you used to work there. Um, (laughs) But there's something really interesting there, which is like you're selling to the enterprise, right? Like you have a list of named accounts that you're going after. Yep. Okay. So you're selling to the enterprise, but you're not using the brand, the name guild as the like, you're using the people within within your company. And like, I, maybe you've heard this in the past, but like, that's one of my favorite marketing strategies for today is like, look, the best way to win in B2B is to be perceived as an expert in that niche. And the people who put all their blood, sweat and tears and hard work into the company are going to be those experts. Like, Let's give them like those are the best content creators that you could have, not your your generic kind of brand name speaking out to the world. Yeah, it's actually been so successful that I've created a role for it specifically on my team. Like we piloted it and we think that there's an opportunity to actually amplify it. So I think that your employer brand has to have its own social channel. Like we have a guild LinkedIn and we, and we, we shoot thought leadership through that, of course. But we have really smart people that have been in higher ed for many years who have a really interesting perspective. Our CEO has been doing this forever. She was in multiple political campaigns before the age of 21. Like She has a point of view as far as higher ed is concerned, as do our subject matter experts. And so what we've done is we've created LinkedIn as a channel to create affinity with the Guild brand. What are you going to call that role? That's a great question. Um, and I'm laughing because this is a, co- a continuing conversation that I'm having with this individual right now of like what this role is called. <laughs> That's why I asked you. I That's know. why I asked you. I yeah. know. You know, I heard your podcast with Gong, who is a brand I admire, and he called it content creation or something like, or sorry, a category creation. That's not quite what this is, but it's something along the lines of like platform or something like that, like social platforms and executive engagement. And we're just trying to figure out, we're building the plane and flying it right now. Yeah. No, no, it's related to that. Gong is now hiring like a head of thought leadership or something. And regardless, I'm calling it out because I think it's an important lesson, which is like, and now I'm not, I'm not talking with you SB, I'm talking to our listeners, which is like, make your shit up. Like if, like it is totally okay. Like every business, your business is going to be unique. And this is an important point. You mentioned like the founder has been a thought leader in this space. You have hired people in higher ed that is unique to your company. And so your job as a marketing leader is to like figure out a combination of your ingredients that are going to be, that are going to be interesting. It's like, this is why it can be so hard to give marketing advice because all those things are factors, which is like, that's your marketing strategy because those are the ingredients you have. And so you're going to try to put them, you know, if you don't have smart thought leadership type people that are sharing that stuff, then maybe don't take that approach. But like, if it doesn't perfectly fall into demand gen or product marketing, it's okay. Give it a name. You got to build your own team. Make this your own thing. Forget about the serious decisions benchmark. Like <laughs> use your own brain and create your own marketing strategy. Yeah. You know, at the end of the day, we're selling to people. Like I talk to our customers every, like, a lot. Like I talked to two customers today and they're just people. And so they want to connect with other people and we're giving them people to connect to. And you just made an excellent point where you're like, make it up if you need to. Like, like I said, I'm working in a very different and unique company than anything I've done before. And so we do kind of have to make it up. And this is one of those things. Like, of course we have traditional product marketing. 
We have ABM and demand gen, but I'm taking two intelligent risks. And one is with this social role. And the other one is with executive engagements and community and really trying to build a community of executives that want to figure out the problem that we're trying to solve together. Nice. Yeah, I I think that's the next big channel like in B2B is, I mean, everything that's been done has been done before in some way. But I think like more important than ever is word of mouth and like the power of like, if you're a brand that can build a community and build content around your brand, not in the like user forum, like help group way, but it's got to be like, if you sell to higher ed, your mission as a marketing team should be like build the group that higher ed people want to hang out at. And by the way, it happens to be run by this company guild, but that's not the reason they're there. Right. And like, here's a hot take for you. You know, here's my first hot take. You know, marketing over the last 10 years, we've like tried to show how strategic marketing can be. We've built like all these funnels. We talk about land and expand. We talk about positioning and category creation and play to win and all of that stuff. But like, that's not strategic marketing. Strategic marketing is you know, smart segmentation, working with product to build the right product and meeting your customers where they are. And there isn't a playbook for the latter, you know? And so if it means us creating community around the business that we're trying to run and the problem that we're trying to solve, then like, I want to go all in on that. So you have this interesting role, right? You're like, you're doing community. I think the community stuff is smart, thought leadership, executive uh, engagement. How are you measuring all that? Because here's where a lot of people fall down, which is like, I'm with you. I'm with you. But then uh, I got to present this, make the case to my CEO or get bought in. And I don't know how to measure this. So, And you're obviously, as an exec, you are going to be asked to measure this. So how are you going to do it? Great question. So I'm, I'm trying to build the framework now and what the QBR will look like, essentially, for marketing. It's my first quarter at Guild. And, um, you know, there was marketing was happening in bits and pieces within the company, but it wasn't really centralized on the B2B side. Um, which we can talk about. Uh, I think marketing should be, everyone should be a marketer, but ultimately it needs a leader. And so we've centralized that. So that was step number one. In terms of measurement, we're going to do the traditional types of measurement, whether it's um, intent. I mean, we're an intent-based forward company. So we're going to be measuring intent. Big shout out to Sixth Sense who just went through a major raise. Very exciting to see that. I saw that. People are raising money like crazy right now. It's so wild. I'm very happy for them though. They have a great product. And then MQL's attribution. And then we're measuring really like how sales pipeline velocity. So how fast these GAM accounts are getting through the funnel, of course, and then how marketing is contributing to that, whether it's through our roundtables or our webinar programs or our traditional ABM activities, it's pretty black and white. And I, I'm trying to create a marketing organization where we're data first. And I mean that in the least cliche way po- as possible, but I am very data driven and ensuring that uh, we're not just doing things to do them. Everything that we do can be measured. I love it. I think to give you a story back on that, I've I've gone from like, I think earlier in my career was just like, no, let's be creative and do stuff. And like, the more responsibility I've taken on with each role, you realize actually you have to count everything because people get burnt out, people spend time on the wrong stuff or like the hardest situation to solve is like when everyone's just doing stuff and everyone's busy and everyone, everyone's just like super you know, packed in what they're doing in their roles and you're not hitting your numbers and then the team feels like, why are we doing this? And like, that's what I've learned is like, oh, that's why you have to measure everything 
because you really do need to know you need to like there's so much to do you got to be able to know where are we going to place bets and like where are we going to get time it's about where you're going to spend your time and people than anything else and dude we've both worked for those cmos before where you're like running manic and you don't really know what the goal is and all these buzzwords are being thrown at about value volume velocity and all this stuff but there's no real metrics and it's it's you're right it's demoralizing so we're not building that kind of marketing org here at Gold. You said something at the beginning of that. You said, we're defining what the QBR will look like. Can you explain that, what that means? Yeah. So companies are used to having a sales QBR, their quarterly business review, and which is great. And it's one of the most important disciplines that we have in sales. I'm very close to our SVP of sales. We talk every day. <laughs> and I believe that you have to have that relationship with sales in order for marketing to be super successful. And I'm trying to design the marketing QBR to match the pipeline, like the sales QBR, so that we can show how we're tag teaming all of the named accounts that we currently have in flight and how we're running plays for those specific accounts. And so we're just trying to figure out what that looks like right now. But I think that there is a big need in our industry to figure out how we define the shared QBR rather than just being a participant in the sales QBR. So is the QBR like a meeting or it's like your operating plan for the quarter? The QBR is a look back. So we'll look back on the quarter and and show what happened, what deals we closed, what we learned, both you know constructively and positively. And then will we'll, we do an OKR review after that? And so LinkedIn did that very, very well. And they, they combine sales and marketing together, which I really liked. I've been at some companies that don't do QBRs at all. And for us, we're trying to figure out how to make it most productive for both teams. Got it. I like the idea of just simplifying things and like, here's the operating plan for the quarter. I think it's so hard to plan a year, especially today. Uh, not that you don't have a year plan, but like it's tough to figure out what, if you're in March... I can't tell you what the tactics are going to be in September. Absolutely. And, you know, we sit as a team, a leadership team, and we define our OKRs together. Guild in particular is one of the better disciplined OKR planning reviews I've ever seen. And I love OKRs. I'm a big fan. And we define our OKRs together. And then once I understand, too, what's, you know, we do them separately, then we meet as a group. And once we understand holistically what the key results are for the team, it's then easy to create a marketing plan based on that. Okay, we know we have to close this many logos. These are our top accounts. And this is the marketing plan that's going to support that. And then, of course, things change. Like, you know, there's fire drills all the time that you have to attend to that aren't in your OKRs. And, and that's okay because it's ultimately laddering up to the broader vision. You just said something super, super important, and I'm going to go back to it. So you're talking about OKRs. One thing, I see this through like the DGMG community. So many people have questions. So many marketing challenges and questions can be solved by what you just mentioned, which is you as a marketing leader, you can't really do anything until the company at the executive level has set the goals for the year. So I see so many, no, no, stop. You can't do them. You can't, no, no, let's go back. Okay. What's the goal? So the key result is one of the key results for the company might be we need to generate a hundred million in pipeline this year or whatever it is, making up numbers. Great, cool. Now you as a marketing leader can go and take that and okay, I can make a plan now based on how much pipeline I know that we have to generate. Like that's why I did a great podcast a couple of weeks ago with Peter Mahoney, who is a CMO at, at Nuance and he runs a company called Planeta. And he's like, 
the framework for how you go, you can't set a marketing strategy until you know the goals. Period. Yeah. So many people want to dive right into the strategy and the tactics. Yeah, you really can't. And, you know, we have goal and, and there's things that you see. So like going through an OKR review, I saw something that I didn't know that was happening on the customer side. And so I was like, hey, we could run a really compelling pilot of ABM. We can run a very compelling campaign on what we're doing on the customer acquisition side, on the customer success side. Let's see if it works. And TBD, I don't know if it, if it will. I'm bullish on it. But I wouldn't have known that if we hadn't done what you just said. How can I get people fired up about doing OKRs? Every time I've done it with a team, they hate me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, OKRs are really tough, but they don't have to be. I think that it's a really, it is a big pain. I still think it's a pain. I think that it gets easier quarter over quarter. Is it like necessary though? Like, do I just need to like, do you think I just need to suck it up and be like, look, this is the time of year where you don't like your manager or whoever, but like, I know that getting these goals out of people is going to make us better. Yeah, I think there's part of that. I also think that if your employees aren't a bonus plan, they're high, they're a lo- they're highly incentivized to do OKRs because <laughs> yeah, I they- guess, I guess like hey hey set, set how, oh, oh you have a bonus how would you okay like set the goals for for your bonus that yeah everybody can set those goals of course well our bonuses aren't um, actually fully OKR based they're performance based but OKRs do play a role but I think that once they see the leadership OKRs you're motivated to build your own OKRs because you want to be able to show something at the end of the year, whether it's your biannual performance review or whatever it is, that you've contributed to the overall strategy, right? And so it becomes this like, there's an emotional and rational benefit to OKRs. The emotional benefit is how are you laddering up? And the rational benefit is how are you showing your success and showing your your worth. And it's just so much easier when you feel like you're a part of that when you're aligned on the company strategy. So when you when you have a good exec team and they're they're aligned on goals, that makes a huge difference. You said something super deep and I'm going to ask you to go into it. You said here's the emotional benefit, here's the rational benefit. Can you talk about why you use those words and where that thinking comes from because that that that's like levels of deepness that we need to get into. <laughs> Second hot take. I know that people buy with emotion and backfill with logic. So that is something that I continuously repeat. And let me talk about Guild for a second, because I think it'll contextualize what I'm trying to say. So Dave, there's 88 million working adults in America that don't have post-secondary education, and they need some sort of upskilling and reskilling to compete in the future of work. We've seen all the stats with the digital transformation, et cetera. And Guild is an education and upskilling solution that transforms those traditional tuition benefits that you've seen on company websites that you've probably approved in the past as a CMO, but they're not strategic. And so we're creating programs and making them a strategic talent advantage for companies like Chipotle, Disney, et cetera, who are seeing some like pretty dramatic results with like Chipotle associates that have gone through a guild program are seven times more likely to be promoted than associates that haven't. And so when I say that people buy with emotion and backfill with logic piece, I've never been able to work for such a company where this is so explicitly relevant on there is an emotional and rational benefit to what we are trying to sell, right? And so I'm always looking for that emotional hook. And I mean, for us, it's that we're changing people's lives truly. I don't mean it in the Silicon Valley show way. I mean it in the sense of like, 
We're taking you from a frontline associate to a manager. Uh, totally. Look, LinkedIn, when you're working there, you can spin an emotional story, which is find your dream job. <laughs> yeah. Here's the emotional story for LinkedIn, you know, jobs. It's like find your next dream job, you know, quit your boring nine to five and get a job at a fast growth start. You know, you could spin it some way. Totally. But and I've I've been there, right? You got you got to pitch to like we're selling marketing software and pitch that as like the transformation, but it's got to be way more fun and real when you have this emotional connection working with brands and providing people, you know, that level of education and it just makes it makes everything better, right? Like I think what this is so important when you're thinking about what marketing job to take. You know, it's going to be easier for you to write passionate case studies and customer stories and find speakers for your events when there's a real cause, which is really cool. That's exactly right. And so, you know, you go back to the like rational and emotional benefit. And I think our jobs as heads of marketing are, you know, I, I'm lucky where I, I have both, but your job is really to find those emotional and rational benefits, whether it's with your own team and it's OKRs or it's your in your positioning. But remembering that people do buy with emotion. Ultimately, we're selling to people and that's who we are as humans. Yep. Hey, real quick, I just want to plug the DGMG community. You can go and join it right from my website, davegerhardt.com. By the way, if you haven't been there, davegerhardt.com, you'll have all the links. That's how you can go join. But DGMG, the community, it's my members only B2B marketing community. In the last year, it's grown to over 2,500 members. And it's incredible because it's like having a sounding board outside of your company, which is so valuable as a marketer. So inside of the group, people are getting feedback. They're getting recommendations on tools. They're getting campaign ideas. They're, sometimes people even message me to post anonymous questions about salary and hiring and interviewing. And I'm in the group every single day like sharing my own stuff too. There's 10 to 12 new posts every day. If you join, you can go all the way back as far as the group goes to see all of the content from the last year. And I don't want to oversell it, but I know that you'll see our ROI from it instantly. It's $10 a month to join. You can cancel at any time. So there's really no risk. And you can kind of, you can always DM me and tell me if you thought it was a fraud. So it's $10 a month to join. There's 2,500 members in there. It's become an incredibly valuable part of my workflow as a marketer. And I know it will for you too. So you can go and sign up at davegerhart.com. There's a link you'll see over there to join the DGMG community. All right, let's get back to this episode. Okay. So speaking of trying to sell into people, with that lens, what's your approach to ABM? Like, because this is ABM, you got a set number of target accounts. What's in your toolkit? How are you going to go and get a meeting with me or whoever? And, and, and what's in the playbook? Yeah, so we're at the very beginning stages of building the strategy. So I'm very excited. Maybe we'll do a follow up one day of the results, but we're, we're building the foundation right now. And I'm calling it, I presented at the board last week and I'm calling it ABM plus because ABM now is just, we've casted this huge wide net of what ABM really is. So Dave, maybe you can help me recoin exactly what ABM is now in 2021. I think that even COVID has played a big role in what, uh, how ABM has changed. But basically what we're doing is we're taking an intent first approach. And so while we have always on campaigns for our TAM, for our named accounts and in our ICP, we're taking them through a very different journey of personalization. And so I think that personalization is, you know, the best way right now to employ ABM campaigns. And I don't mean, you know, putting 
a logo onto an asset. I mean, like, how do you take them through a real journey? And how do you differentiate yourself from other B2B companies? Because these execs are overloaded in a compelling way. And how do you create a personalized and delightful customer experience from the first interaction? You mentioned the website. Awesome. That's like a great way as well. But how do you create personalized landing pages? How do you, if you're, uh, let's say Walmart, they're already a customer, but how do you create an experience for them so that you know what keywords they're searching for, what nurture tracks you can put them in. You can tell sales who the actual buying committee is. You don't have to guess. You can target that buying committee. And then after every sales meeting, you can add things to their landing page and you can see what they're interested in so that you can then serve them more content. So. We say ABM and we say we're going to market to our target accounts, but how do you actually do ABM in a way that's highly personalized and differentiated? And so we're taking a different approach and a different philosophy. When you said you're you're constantly updating that landing page, where how are they getting to that? How do they continue to get to that page over time? Like how are they getting there? Yeah. So the way we're designing it is that if you're a prospect and you're in one of our top accounts, like we're, we're, we're going to test this now, you're in one of your top accounts, you'll be able to see, you'll get loads of content that's applicable to the keywords that you've been searching for. But then on that landing page, after a sales call, instead of sending PDFs, the goal is that you'll, you'll see links. And um, all your follow-up materials will be on that page with a picture of your rep, et cetera. And then as a marketing team, I'm able to say, okay, this is what they're interested in. Let's continue to feed content to them that's applicable and personalized so that we can get more data and learn more about them so that we can help them make the best decision possible and be a great partner to them. What are you using for that? What's in the tech stack? Is that what, like, who does that? Yeah. So, you know, we are using, so we just signed with Sixth Sense, as I mentioned earlier. Um, they're helping with the data piece and helping us to understand intent in a pretty meaningful way. And then we also just brought on Seros to replace Unbounce. And then there's other tools that we're looking for, but there isn't really an all-in-one solution that provides that. So it is rather manual, which is why we are doing it in smaller chunks so that we can see what works, iterate. I mean, marketing is just launching, iterating, evolving, relaunching, and that's kind of what we're doing. You mentioned presenting to the board. Yes. What do you do in a board presentation? Give people listening some, if you have any words of wisdom for like how you like to present to the board, what you've learned in the past. It's a question that comes up a lot and I'd love to get your your opinion on it. Yeah. So I'm really lucky. We have a president and chief commercial officer. Um, she's the best go-to-market operator I've ever seen. I'm incredibly lucky. And I, I'm not just saying that to score brownie points. She really is impressive. And she's provided those kinds of opportunities. And so I'm, I'm very lucky. I would say, you know, I've done this a couple of times with a couple of different companies. And success is really having your executive team share context. I think a lot of times you have to create a marketing, you know, your marketing deck or whatever it is for the board. And it's not really aligned to any sort of context of what's been happening or what they care about. And so I was well prepared with landmines and things that the board wanted to know and understand. And they wanted to meet the marketing leader. And, you know, it sounds so simple, just like having contextualization, but like it really does help. And also, I just 
myself, I create FAQs, like what are they going to ask and how can I best prepare for those questions, particularly around for, you know, I just shared the ABM strategy with them. Wait, wait, we got to stop. We got to pause right there. Okay. Damn, what you said is important. How can you know what to present to the board if you don't know? Like you have to ask if the CEO, whoever asks you, hey, say, hey, SB, come in and give us a presentation. Like this is why I go so nuts when people ask this question. I'm like, ask the person who asked. It's not like you were like, you know what? I'm going to present to the board this week and you strolled in there. Like ask the CEO, what, okay, what do you want me to do? What context do you, okay, you want me to talk about where, you know, hey, Dave, I want you to come in, talk about your background, talk about the strategy, because this should be all stuff that you've already shared with the CEO. That's the reason they're inviting you into the board in the first place. Right, right. It's so important. And for this meeting in particular, it was to show them our new pitch. And so we treated them like a customer and we showed them our new pitch and how it was different from the old pitch. But you're right, it was, you know, having that context and then for me to create what are all the questions that they could possibly ask and what do, how will I answer them? And, and I spent a lot of time on that. But ideally it's like, it's not the first time you had to think of it. This is like, you've been working on the marketing strategy plan, whatever. You're just changing the context to deliver that to the board versus maybe internal or whoever. Exactly. I think there is a lot of anxiety around this topic. And like, I was anxious too, and you don't know what you're going to, what to expect. And you know, there's some pretty big heavy hitters on every board. And so it's intimidating just to be really vulnerable, you know? I found that half the time they're not even paying attention. <laughs> especially <laughs> especially in a COVID world where it's easy to multitask, right? <laughs> yeah. It's like they're not even on video. Our board um, was like very, very engaged um, and really utilized the chat feature, which I appreciated. <laughs> It's good. Yeah. Have you tried have you tried neon for the brand color? Like, you know, I'm just kidding. You you've been there for three months. Yeah. What was your game plan coming in as a new exec? Obviously you want to come in and make your mark. There's such a delicate balance between like coming in and like talking to customers, like and just doing a lot of stuff, but not moving the needle on anything. So what's your approach been in the first three months? Oh, gosh, this is such a great question because I was worried, you know, there is such a fine balance. I didn't want to come in and, you know, be the one that, that was saying, you know, what we're doing is not working. Let's change things. And this was even before I, you know, this is when I signed my offer letter. I didn't want to be the kind of leader that didn't deliver wins um, in the first 90 days. And so I really thought about what kind of leader do I want to be and what kind of initiatives do I believe will, will move the needle. And for me, it came down to, okay, I want to listen a lot, but I also want to get really smart. So I met with a ton of people across the business in my first month. I have such a great team. I'm so, so lucky. I inherited an incredible team. I've been hiring a great team. And so they helped get me really smart on Guild and our marketing strategy and then it was really like, great, how do we take what you've already done and amplify it? And how do we create structure? And so my first 90 days was really on creating more structure, passing down information that hadn't been passed down to them before to make their jobs more successful, creating foundations and metrics and stuff like that. And then I knew I had to also deliver wins at the same time. And so I um, really tried to figure out what was the highest priority from a business perspective. And it was, it was our, our sales pitch. And it was repositioning our solution to show what we uniquely do better than anyone else. And so we're in a big positioning sprint right now, which is probably the best part of my job other than the people piece. I love repositioning. And so that was really the philosophy. But 
I was really nervous because it's hard to join a company as a leader. It doesn't matter where you are. Yeah. And especially if you, there's an existing team, cause you have to like get new people to like you and trust you while you're making a lot of change. A lot of things are happening. So not to mention COVID where you have to onboard remotely and you don't get to do an afternoon beer with someone that you collaborate with or take the team for skinny margaritas. Like that was hard for me to not, you know, be able to do that. So we've done some things like happy hours and some Airbnb experiences, but you know, it, nothing's the same. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's totally different. I started my new job last year. I started at a new company in December. So I had December, hired team in January. We had basically February to work together and then beginning of March. And so it was seven new people who had never spent any time together, like all trying to figure it out. Um, remotely. It's definitely different. What what rhythms do you have baked in? Like what's a, you know, as a marketing leader, you kind of got weekly, monthly, quarterly. Can you give us a look into some of your rhythms uh, and the COVID version of it? Like, you know, what calls are you doing? What do you, you know, how are you spending the time with the team? Yeah. So I have been spending a lot of time with the team, especially as I onboard our new leaders, because I hired a head of product marketing and a head of executive engagements and community. So I'm onboarding them and helping the other, helping the rest of the team be successful. And so weekly one-on-ones, 30 minutes with the whole team that reports to me. If you don't report to me, then it's monthly. I do a team meeting every week for an hour and then, and the, the structure of that is a spotlight on what someone is working on that, that is important for the whole team to understand pass downs. So any strategy pass downs or comms that we need to talk about. And then we do do around the horn, which is one of the best parts of it because everyone gets to hear what everyone else is working on. We do a campaign stand up every week. So right now we are talking about a new always on campaign and we do a stand up before it launches and we'll, we'll continue it into queue too as well. And then I do a marketing leadership meeting every week, which just kicked off last week. It was like the best day of my guild career so far to have marketing leaders. And um, we talk through org chart, strategy, engagement scores, all, you know, all the usual leadership stuff. What do you want out of that meeting in the in the future? Is it like a formalized agenda meeting? Is it, you know, are you talking? Are they talking? What do you want that to be? Yeah. It's a really good question. So I would like for it to be a, a lot of a people conversation to figure out um, how we have high engagement, how we harness great performance. But ultimately, I want to use it to solve problems. And so for instance, like it would have been great to have that team together to talk through um, some of the, like, the LinkedIn testing that we're doing, for instance, or like, hey, we have this crazy idea. Let's whiteboard it and pressure test it together and see why, why it won't succeed. We're talking about a summit right now. So that's a big topic. Like, let, How do we make sure that our summit is best in class and differentiated from all of the other summits out there? And so I try to bring strategic questions to the group and uh, solve them and start to think through them together. Okay. This will probably be the last question because uh, you'll give me a nice, a, a good answer and we're starting to run out of time, but which is a bummer. Hiring. Let's talk about hiring. You, I think you have a, a, something to say on this because your background is not only as a marketing leader, but in kind of HR tech. How do you hire? How do you hire? A lot of people, you, you know, you want to build a badass team. What do you do? You just write a job post and, and you, you know, HR does it for you and inbound comes in and that's how you do it. How do you do it? Yeah, you said this actually. You have to suck at hiring to get good at it. And 
no truer words have ever been spoken. Like I have been terrible at hiring early in my career. You make some mistakes and then you learn really quickly on how to do it better. And so I, first of all, have the best recruiter at Guild. She's the best recruiter I've ever worked with. And it's a partnership. And that's the only way that this works. And so we work together on the kickoff and I'm very involved in the hiring process and I source with her. So she'll send me candidates, but I spend a lot of time on LinkedIn messaging candidates myself. I ABM a lot of candidates. I send them a lot of content. I nurture them. I put them through my own little nurture tracks, but ultimately it's a partnership with recruiting. And then we put them through a pretty robust hiring process. I'm a big fan of case study interviews. And so while homework is really good, case study interviews are even better. And so, hey, Dave, draw me a funnel. Here's some numbers that are part of the funnel. Um, How would you change? What would be your marketing strategy? And how would you change it with these numbers to optimize better conversion? Or whatever your case study is, we do do a case study forward process. And I love that. Do you have a good one for product marketing? I do. I'll ask them to do a storyboard deck on the spot. So with what you know about our business, draw me on a whiteboard what the sales deck would look like. All right, let me answer this one. I don't know anything about your business, but Every great story has three ingredients. There's a setup, there's a conflict, and there's a resolution. So first, let's talk about the setup. What are the company... Oh, this is fun. Yeah. I, I, I wanted to ask you because a lot of people are like... And I, I've struggled with this. I've definitely... This has probably been why I've made some bad hires, I guess. But like in demand gen, you can draw the funnel. But what you know, what do you do in product marketing? Asking them on the spot is amazing because it's like... That shows, do you really know this? Did you not did you study for the test, but like, you know, you could wake me up out of, out of a dead sleep at two in the morning and be like, Dave, what's a framework for a good story? And I could tell you that's because I know it, right? It's the difference. Yeah. We've internalized it because that's what we do best, right? As marketers, we tell stories. That's your job as the head of marketing. You are the head storyteller. And do you do you come up with the like you have an interview team, multiple people interview, like who does the case study? Just you? No, all of them. So I give a case study. I'll give a case study to our head of sales, to our head of rev ops. And I'll be like, ask them this. Uh, We use Greenhouse. Ask them these questions. And then please take them through this case. And sometimes they do it and they get to the case. Sometimes they don't. And if they don't get to the case, then I make sure I get to the case at the end of the process. But if everybody got to the case, is it the same case and you're trying to like match up the answers or it's all different related to the person? They're all different cases. So if you're the SVP of sales, the case is about how you would enable sales better. For instance, if it's about RevOps, it's about um, how do you measure a successful marketing program or like what does the QBR, what are the QBR headlines based on the data that they give them in the interview? So it's always different. And to plug, I'm looking for a head of ABM. So please, if anyone knows anyone, send them my way. You'll get at least two applicants from this episode. I hope so. Only because it's eight, that's a perfect role. And so how do you do the prep for this interview? Because you got you to actually have a good process. It's not like you're kind of like, oh, shoot, I got an interview with SB in an hour. Uh, my case is like, do you prep for it? Does the candidate prep for it or does the interviewers prep for it? More so like, how do you make sure the interview team kind of has their shit together? Yeah. So we send them an initial email that tells them the competencies and skills that we're looking for and the questions that they should be asking. 
And then those go into our ATS greenhouse. And then while they're filling out their scorecards, they can see the questions that they need to ask. It's all there for them. And so it's pretty seamless in in my opinion. And we have good interviewers. Like people are very willing to be part of an interview team at Guild, which I'm grateful for because that has not been the case everywhere I've worked. Yeah. I've had a great relationship in the, at a past company with the sales leadership. And that's been some of the most fun marketing interviewing was like, he would come by my desk after and be like, we need her, we need her. And I'm like, oh, this is good because you want, you know, you want to have other people outside of marketing be excited about the people that you're bringing onto your team because it makes them more, you know, they're going to be more likely to work together. It's so true. And we've had that happen. And it is really heartbreaking when we don't get the candidate and people have already fallen in love and they've had their, their, their emotional tie to that person, you know? And so it's hard. At LinkedIn, we rarely lost candidates. They're such a big employer brand. But when you're working for a growth company, it's just a different ball game. You know what it's like. Yep. It's hard. It's definitely hard. It's someone always can offer more money or something. And like, there are always so many situations. I'm like, oh, we're definitely going to get this person. And then you get into that stage and it's like, wow, I didn't see it going that way. And that's just what happens. It's so true. And we're lucky because we have a mission-driven company. And so you, you hope that that is what ties people to you. But yes, at the end of the day, you do lose to companies like Salesforce and the likes. Well, yeah, I've had a few times where I've been like, you're making what? That's more than that's fifty percent more than what I'm making. I'm not going to be able to make you an offer for this. I know. Actually, that's a good point. So I try to get really aligned on comp before the interview panel with the candidate, and so they're aware, and it, it saves time. You know, it saves a lot of time, frankly. So, but yeah, I've also been in that situation, and it's funny. <laughs> I mean, all you can do is laugh. Yeah, I'm like, uh, yeah, but but I think I think you're I think that's a good uh, tip, which is if you can have that be one of the earlier conversations. Like, ideally, you have a ballpark for comp before you're spending time on interviews and all that stuff. Exactly. Okay, this is this is awesome. We we, we got to do it again, SB. Thank you for doing this. I've got to give a shout out to Jill Rowley who. Yes. who who connected us. Jill is in the DGMG funnel and she screenshotted me the user experience and is all in my emails and and it was amazing. And then she also connected me with you, which is great. So I got to ask you to pass it on. Who is one other marketing leader that you'll hopefully intro me to that I can have on B2B marketing leaders? You have to have Latney on here next from Sixth Sense. Can you intro me? Will you intro me? I will do that now. All right, SB, thank you so much. I'll talk to you soon. We'll send you a note when this is coming out in a couple weeks. Otherwise, we'll link to all your stuff and uh, continue to follow your journey at Guild. Thanks so much, Jim. This was so fun. See you later. Bye. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of the DGMG Podcast. If you learned anything new from this episode or got one valuable piece of marketing knowledge, it'd make my day to leave a review. I like to look at them. I like to see what people are thinking and hear about. Or if you didn't like it, leave me some feedback. Otherwise, I will talk to you on the next episode. See ya.